morning we are beginning a series over the next eight weeks where we are going to be considering some of the biggest questions of life. We are going to consider those questions and we're not going to do it just to ponder something for our own curiosity. We're actually hoping to find some answers to these big questions. And not only do we want answers, we want a particular kind of answer. We want true answers. And so the first big question we need to consider this morning is, how can I know whether or not something is true? What you choose to believe as true can change the entire direction of your life. Simple propositional statements have immense power. And to prove this, I'm going to present with you, uh, to you a selection of propositions, and I want you to consider how these might shape your life if you actually believe them. True happiness is based on the accumulation of wealth, and the more you have, the happier you, happier you will be. You can't trust anyone, and so the best thing to do is to isolate yourself from people. Or, I'm suffering because God is out to get me. I'm an accident of nature, and once I'm dead, it's the end of my existence. I'm ugly and fat and will never amount to anything. People are born inherently innocent and actually have to learn to sin. It doesn't matter what I do as long as I don't hurt anyone. On the day that Jesus was crucified, Pilate, who was the Roman prefect of the area, interrogated him. At one point, after realizing that the people wanted to make him the king, Pilate asked him, So, are you a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king, and for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate answered him, What is truth? And so that's the very question we're going to be dealing with in this message. So first of all, we need to look at absolute versus relative truth. In our modern culture, there's a lot of talk about relativism. This is the doctrine that knowledge, truth, and morality exist in relation to culture, society, or historical context, and are not absolute. To some degree, this doctrine is valid. There are certain things that are relatively true, and some things that are absolutely true. For example, someone might say, Bob Ross was a painter of landscapes. <clears throat> now this is absolutely true, and can be shown by many different proofs, including videos that show him painting landscapes. But someone might also say, Bob Ross was the best painter of landscapes who ever lived. And so this may be true for that particular individual, but not true for everyone. This means that statements are relatively true, in this case, relative to the person's taste in regard to landscapes. People Magazine might proclaim that Chris Evans is the sexiest man alive, but we know what the absolute truth is, don't we? <laughs> Next we need to look at belief versus reality. Clearly, there are propositions that are evidently true, self-evident. For instance, if I run a, a knife along my arm, it will cut me. 
Then there are other propositions that are based on belief. Someone with a mental disorder who thinks that they're Superman might state, if I run this knife along my arm, it's not going to cut me. Now, there are times when belief and reality are one and the same. For instance, I may believe that I have something called a heart beating in my chest. I've never seen my own heart. It's a belief I have. But this statement could be easily proven to be true. A wonderful example of how belief and reality can get muddied is shown in the astrological beliefs of the ancient Greeks. They did not know that the evening star, which they called Hesperus, and the morning star, which they called Phosphorus, were in fact one and the same, namely the planet Venus. Now this becomes very important regarding philosophical, moral, and spiritual questions like the existence of God, the purpose of man, the problem of evil, and of course, the afterlife. And so my main purpose in this message is to show all of you that there are absolute truths. Then secondly, that there are certain faith beliefs that can be proven to be absolute truth. And so we need to know that truth can be known about many different things. All around the world, we have court systems whose job it is to determine the truth about particular cases. These courts give us a clue about the kind of evidence that's needed to prove a case as true. Physical evidence, expert testimony, eyewitnesses, scientific, uh, scientific authentication, all these help lawyers prove their case as true and accurate. What this shows us is that as a culture, we believe that there are absolute truths that can be known. We can know for certain whether Mr. Smith pulled the trigger in the murder of his neighbor. We can know for certain whether Mrs. Jones was going 87 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour zone. And interestingly enough, even the staunchest relativist converts to belief in absolute truth when it's their car that was T-boned in the intersection. But the court system has a much more difficult time proving intangible things like people's motives or intents. It's hard to prove someone's state of mind in that particular situation. And proving things that are supernatural are even harder. Now notice I said harder, not impossible. Let's take the biggest question of truth that there is and see if there are ways to know for certain something about them. That question is whether or not God exists. Or are we just a big accident and there is no creator? One way to prove the existence of an individual is through direct contact. You meet that person. But another way is through indirect inference. One example of this was the key plot twist in the 1947 version of Miracle on 34th Street. In that movie, there was a man who was claiming to be Santa Claus. At one point, he was thrown in a mental institution because as the prosecuting attorney in his sanity case stated, everybody knows that there is no such person as Santa Claus. And so in a brilliant legal move, his defending attorney asked him, where do you live? To which Santa answers, why the North Pole, of course. And after this, evidence was brought to prove 
that Santa lived at the North, Col North Pole in the form of thousands of letters from children addressed to him at that very address there. And so it's clear that no one that's alive today has met God Almighty. But could we prove his existence using indirect evidence? I believe the Bible makes it clear that we can. Listen to Romans 1, 18 through 21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see what he's trying to say here? Creation, those things that have been made, prove the existence of God through indirect inference. Now, this can be seen in numerous ways. For instance, the ocean proves that God is awesome and immense. The universe proves that he is infinite. The fragility of a rose proves that he is artistic. And the list goes on and on, but the fact remains that God has given us intelligence in order that we might know him indirectly. The previous passage tells us that people actually have to suppress the truth in order to deny God's existence. Next we see that Jesus is truth personified. Even though God clearly showed himself through creation, he didn't stop there. He actually took a huge step toward us, and he came down in the form of man to dwell among us. Now, there are certain things that each of us can say about ourselves. We might say, I am strong, or I am smart, or I am creative. But no one ever made the claim that Jesus did. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus was making a claim that anything that could be known in the history of eternity was to be found in him. He didn't just tell the truth, he is the truth. And so, everything that he said or did was to show us who God is as the truth. And so, you have a choice when you are faced with this claim that Jesus made. C.S. Lewis said it well in his book, Mere Christianity. He said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of thing that, things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher, he would either be a lunatic or a man who was the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or a madman or something worse. And thankfully, we have something inside of us that God has placed within us that helps us in deciding whether or not Jesus was God with us or a liar. It's called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us to know God. Next we see that the truth will set us free. In John 8:32 Jesus said, "You will know the truth and the truth will set you free." In other words, because Jesus is the truth, knowing him should bring you greater freedom. 
And so my question to you this morning is, in coming to know Jesus, have you found greater freedom? I know that I have. And it's not that I found perfection or complete release from all bondages. It's that I am no longer a slave to the sins that once consumed me. There is hope for this life and a way back to the Father because I found the truth. And that truth tells me that I'm a sinner, that God is holy, and that Jesus was sent to save my life. I can't maintain my own righteousness on my own. And if you found greater freedom somewhere else, then my hat's off to you. But I know what kind of destructive path I was on before I saw the truth. Next, we see that the devil cannot speak truth. One of the greatest mysteries in the Bible, I think, is the devil. How can a being so holy and so awesome that lived in the very presence of God fall to such great depths of darkness and evil? And I guess that the closest answer that I can come up with is to ask myself that same question. How can somebody who has tasted and seen the Lord is good, seen all he's given us in creation, still do the kinds of evil things that I do or think? Jesus told us that the devil is a liar and the truth is not in him. Another thing that is a liar is our own sinful flesh and the world around us. One of the primary cultural issues that exemplifies this perfectly is the issue of gender preference. At the core of this issue, we see the direct assault on truth, the truth that is made known to us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. However, in our relevant culture today, the world says you can choose which sex you want to identify as. Or maybe you don't want to be boxed in by a physiological sex at all. Perhaps you want to identify as a leaf. And there are now pronouns that have been invented to communicate this preference. If you think I'm making this up, listen to a quote from CNN's article, A Guide to Neo-Pronouns. I quote, For someone who uses the noun self-pronoun, leaf, that may look like, I hope leaf knows how proud we are that leaf is getting to know leaf self better. Or, Leaf arrived at the coffee shop before me, and I'm mortified to have been late to meet Leaf. This entire area falls into the realm that I mentioned earlier, where beliefs do not match reality. For the man who thinks that he cannot be harmed by the blade of a knife because he believes himself to be Superman, reality trumps his belief. And we must not cave to social pressure by believing or agreeing with people's false beliefs, even if those beliefs are genuinely held. If I agree with a man who thinks that he's Superman, what do you think will happen to him? My support will perpetuate a lie, and he will eventually begin to do things that are harmful to himself. And so, too, we see people doing very harmful things to themselves in the area of biological sex transitioning because of medical and political agreement with a lie. As those who know the personified truth in the person of Christ, this kind of agreement goes against one of the fundamental laws of the Christian faith. That law is summed up in the Eighth Commandment, Thou shalt not lie. 
And so, to love Jesus means to love the truth, no matter how countercultural it may seem, because Jesus is the truth. Wrapping up today, how important is truth to God? Well, it's so important that he mentions it 350 times in the Bible. Truth is not only the bedrock of the Christian faith, it's also the foundation upon which a strong and healthy society rests. And when the truth is marginalized, security, morality, and peace are the next things to fall. So the next time you find yourself being bombarded by the culture, the media, messages that say truth is relative, don't think to yourself, how does this make me feel? Rather, think, what is the truth? Because my feelings are always subjective. But the truth is unmovable. It's solid. It's firm. And if you are seeking the truth, you will always find at its center Jesus. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for Christ. And when we find Christ, we find the truth. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for the truth that you've given us through your word, through creation, through your son, And Lord, as we face this culture all around us that is setting forth lies as the truth, I pray that you would help us to stand firm in the truth, in love, for the people that are being harmed by these lies, by the devil's attacks on the very basic things that you created. And so, Father, give us strength and help us to stand in your truth, to stand in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.